This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. So raising a resilient child is what every parent wants to do, but it does not come easily. However, good parenting is often the most significant factor for boosting resilience in children. So there's a free online booklet titled Raising a Resilient Child that came out last year and is filled with tips for parents. The 10 questions in the booklet address the 10 factors on the Singapore Youth Resilience Scale, which reflect universal mechanisms and determinants of resilience. The skill is developed by the NUS Yonglulin School of Medicine and the NUHS-NUS Mind Science Centre. The booklet is written by senior psychologist Kelly Lee and educational psychologist Danielle Sia, who used to work with the director of the Mind Science Centre, Professor John Wong. Today, Danielle is here in the studio to tell us more about raising a resilient child. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to Health Check. Thank you for having me here. So we wanted to talk about the book, right? I found it very interesting, Raising a Resilient Child, right? So before we start, can you tell us very briefly like what you do as an educational psychologist? So as an educational psychologist, my main role is really to assess and support individuals in their learning and development. So pretty much if there are students or children who come to us with any problems in school or any problems in their learning, that's where parents would look out for an educational psychologist. Can you share a recent case like you know, to illustrate this? So sometimes it may be because the teachers have shared with their parents that your child may be struggling in school, whether it's learning issues or attention issues. The child doesn't seem to be coping well compared to their peers. So that's where the parents might then get referred on to us as an educational psychologist to do some assessments or to examine the process of how is this child coping. Maybe is it a learning disorder that this child might have or are there some attention issues that the child is facing or maybe even some emotional issues that the child is having difficulties with that's then affecting their learning as well. Mm, so it's usually from the school. Do the parents come in by oh, themselves? Yes, parents also do come by themselves. I think very often now we are seeing a group of parents who are quite on the ball in terms of keeping up with the latest research or they're reading up. <laughs> I think social media at some level has helped uh, with that as well where parents hear about you know autism, they hear about attention, they hear about mental health issues and so they are referring their kids a lot. An interesting one I'm seeing in teens nowadays as well is that a lot of teens are self-referring themselves to the parents first. Oh. So they are telling parents that I've, I think I have attention problems or I think I have anxiety problems. I need to see someone. And it's really awesome that uh, parents are actually listening to their kids and, and bringing their kids for assessments or uh, bringing them to see us uh, to have a chat at least to find out if sometimes uh, there are true disorders that we need to be worried about. Or sometimes maybe it's just normal anxiety or normal difficulties that the child is facing and then we, we help the child to manage and cope with those. Right, right. Well, that's great. I mean, greater awareness in that sense. Mm, yes, right, I do less- think yep. Stigma, or maybe no stigma, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's still a a question that uh, parents often have. Currently, I'm in a private practice, so I think it helps a little bit in terms of uh, not having any links to government bodies or places where names can be followed up on. Of course, these are all confidential patient information, so the information that comes to me doesn't go to anybody else. And so I think that helps a little bit in the private sector um, compared to the public sector. Yeah, that's true. So how often do you talk to your clients about, you know, parenting and building resilience in their children? I would actually say pretty much all the time. (laughs) So, I mean, children and and individuals, I mean, we all live in systems, right? We all live in our families. And very often, it's not just the individual who needs work, but it's the parents who need to know how to manage and, and help the child cope as well. 
So I do see children uh, as young as four, all the way until teenagers, 19, 20. I would say even at the older ages, I am still talking to parents about, you know, how do you build resilience? How do you teach your children? Uh, how do you teach independence? How do you let go sometimes? I think uh, our kids in this generation are very protected, very, very sheltered lives for some of them. And they really don't know how to manage when they have difficulties. And so that's where part of my role then is about training parents as well, how to let go how to allow your children to experiment, how to let them try. <laughs> because it's very often um, things are done for them all the time. They don't get much choice in their lives. And so I think that unfortunately affects the, the process of building resilience. Right, that's interesting. I mean, a simple thing is letting go. Yes. Which I've read that, you know, as your children grow up, right, you have to learn to let go, mm -hmm. which is very <laughs> difficult actually. Yeah. So that's one mistake. I mean, what, what are the other mistakes that parents often make? I think one of the other big ones is that forgetting about the connection and the bond between yourself and the child. Right? I think very often parents are task-oriented. Right? We have timelines, we have things that we need to do, we need to get to places on time. And we just tell the child, you have to do this, this and this, you have to go for this tuition, you have to go for that. And kids tend to be quite overwhelmed. After a while, kids start to think that, you know, my parents just worry about grades. All they want is for me to do well in school. All they want me to do is listen to them. And you know what? That sometimes is tricky for kids because then they start thinking that my parents don't love me or, you know, my parents only want me for my, my grades or what I can do rather than for who I am. Unfortunately, I have had some suicidal cases before where I ask them, what do you think is more important to your parents? You being around or having good grades? And I've actually had kids respond, having good grades. And sometimes they feel that, you know, that's all that matters because that's the only thing that parents need to worry about. Have you done your homework? What have you been doing? Do you go for your tuition? So it's all very academic driven, unfortunately. Um, and so that's where missing out on that connection, missing out on that one-to-one -one time with children. I think we are in a very busy society that it's not easy. <laughs> um, it's really not easy, but uh, reminding ourselves that, hey, you know, have you checked in with your child? How are they feeling today? How have they been feeling? You know, what are the problems that they are facing? Do we know all those? I think it's good to check in for parents. The children that you mentioned, these are, are the primary school kids or older? Those tend to be a little bit older, more on the secondary school level. I would say the primary school kids, sometimes the upper primary children, some of them have these sort of thoughts already. It is, <laughs> it is worrying um, where we see kids, uh, I have to say through the years, I have seen suicidal ideation come down lower in age. Um, so it used to be just the older kids and then now we see teenagers like the 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds uh, as well. Yeah, who are who are having some of these thoughts. Yeah, That's so awful. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but if you're saying they're teens, right? I mean, we are a teenager. At that point, you know, how do you rescue the situation? I mean, they don't want to talk to you, right? They're like, no. You ask them what's your problem and they're like, they don't want to say anything. So what do you do? <laughs> it is a very tricky situation. Um, but usually I would tell parents that just being there with the child even if they don't want to say anything, don't scold them for it. Um, I think it's very easy to get frustrated. I'm asking all these questions. Why don't you say anything? <laughs> I <Correct>. think, um, <laughs> um, like I said, we're very task-oriented. We ask a question, we want a response. Uh, teenagers don't like to work that way. Very often, maybe it's about uh, building the foundation again from scratch. Sometimes it's about, you know, finding what does your child like and joining in on what they enjoy. So if you know, for example, that your child may be playing a certain computer game, or you know that this is something that they're really interested in, they're really excited about, go and learn about that game too. Try and join in, um, try and play along with the child. Right? Have a common topic. 
So before you can expect your child to really share their secrets, you kind of have to start on a more basic level that your child is happy to share with you on. So talents, uh, hobbies, um, those are always good starts. Um, using whatever little time. So sometimes it's, we know everybody has a busy schedule, but, you know, just car rides, you know, just uh, it, maybe if just five, ten minutes, um, it doesn't have to be a very serious topic. You know, you can just ask, oh, you know, what's going on for you today? You know, uh, what would you like to do over the weekend? Asking simple questions. Um, because first you have to build that level of uh, communication. Right, so when your child feels safe and trusts uh, what you say, and when you guys have a better bond, that's where you can go into the deeper conversations about things that are worrying them, things that are stressing them out, things that perhaps are harder for them to share because they might be worried about the feedback that parents uh, might share later on too. <laughs> yeah, or like you scold them or something, right? And then yes. they better not tell you. That's actually uh, one of the biggest comments I get from my teenagers. Like, no, I don't want to tell them that. Because uh, very often they would tell me because I am a, a third party and we have patient confidentiality. Parents do know this. Whatever the child tells me, I will not automatically tell parents. Right? So that's where the child really has that safety net of coming to tell a third person about whatever's stressing them out, what's worrying them. And so very often, when I do feel that it's something that the parents need to know, I will ask the child, can you tell your parents this or have you told your parents this? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, why not? And then they are worried that you know, if I tell them, I'm going to get scolded or you know, I'm going to get in trouble or uh, they're just going to worry more and nag me about it. And so... Um, that's their mindset already. And it's kind of, unfortunately, probably over the years, they have seen that when they shared something, they got into trouble for it. And so they just decided that, you know what, it's just safer not to. Right, which is true. But that, that's so difficult, right? It is. Okay, but it's a, it's a long journey. And also, you need to affirm the kid along the way. Yes, and so part of the work I do tell parents um, is that they need to be open to whatever the child is sharing with them that they need to listen. I think active listening is really important for our teenagers, uh, where we're just there to hear what they have to say. We're just there to acknowledge their emotions. And we're just there to be there with them. I think very often for parents, it's, it's easy for us to jump into problem-solving mode straight away. When we hear a problem, straight away we tell our child, okay, we need to do this, this and this to fix the problem. Our kids, actually, you'll be surprised. I do believe a lot of them do know what to do. They do have the, the problem-solving skills and ideas. But very often, it's just that they need someone to be there with them to think through this, uh, to walk through the steps, perhaps, to feel that someone's listening. I think that's something they really do treasure, that somebody's listening and caring for them, so that then they feel confident enough to go ahead and solve their problems as they need to. Right. Interesting. Actually, it's a matter of like parenting style as well, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is it in Singapore? Maybe in Asia? Or maybe actually price the authoritarian method. Yes. <laughs> Tell you what to do, you do it. I know what is right for you. Yes, and I think sometimes that's where we do see some mismatches uh, with parenting styles and children's personality. And I think because I work across uh, local schools as well as international schools. And so we do see the differences in parenting. I mean, I would say not just the local kids who have these difficulties. Some of the international uh, school parents as well would have similar difficulties. But I think it's, of course, uh, personalities that come in as well. Right. Uh, so if you're an anxious type of parent, which is quite normal, <laughs> I think as parents, we worry for our children. And this is quite normal, right? We want to make sure our children are safe. We want to make sure that they have the best outcome in life. And then we try and prepare the best for them or in the ways that we think would be best. Sadly, sometimes it's not always the way that the child wants to go as well. So I think sometimes we forget that children have their own personalities. They have their own will. 
they're not robots, <laughs> right? They're not there for us to just uh, direct. And so um, when there's a conflict in interest, that's where, as children, they feel stuck. Because at the end of the day, parents are the ones who control whatever happens to them. Right. So maybe a more permissive approach might work. Not necessarily as well. <laughs> so I think it's really a balance. Uh, it's also a balance of um, being firm with certain boundaries, mm. uh, but yet allowing your child to explore and uh, the, f- the freedom to make some choices as well. But not going all the way of just uh, allowing your child to do everything or anything they want to, because that would have its own set of problems as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So earlier you mentioned, you know, telling parents about learning to let go, right? And, you know, how does that build resilience in your child? So when we look at what is resilience, right? So resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity. So when somebody is faced with a challenge, how do they cope with it? So to do that, to start off with, you have to have experienced setbacks before in your life. So if you've never experienced a setback and you suddenly have one, that's going to be a big one, isn't it? For example, I think a common one for us in Singapore is the PSLE, <laughs> right? Um, parents are always very geared up and, uh, and the, the stress levels go way up uh, at the PSLE years. I would say a lot of my referrals tend to come in at primary 5 and primary 6 particularly <laughs> because of the, the stress levels at that point. Um, that's kind of like that first major exam, isn't it? And so suddenly there's a lot of pressure put on that exam. And so that's where children face the stress and and suddenly that's where they might feel like this is out of control, I can't manage this. Like, you know, school is also amping up because they're all preparing for the PSLE level and the parents as well are overly stressed as well because they're all thinking that, you know, this is a make or break it, you know, this will determine your future. Yeah, (laughs) some of them take leave, I don't know, six months or a year, you know. Yes, um, I've heard of parents quitting, (laughs) that they quit their jobs so that they can manage the child. Um, And so it does then put a lot of additional stress on the child because suddenly that pressure is there. Versus if it's a parent who's been consistent from earlier on, maybe from primary three or four, um, you know, that they've already, you know, talked about what are exams, right? Because that's when exams suddenly come up a little bit more. There's a higher emphasis on what the exams are. Allowing that child to experience what the exams are and training them up to be independent and trying, right? So exams, ideally, we shouldn't wait until it's just P6 year to start, <laughs> right? You, you ideally want to start and nurture that child's sense of interest, firstly, in topics and subjects that they need to learn, <laughs> yeah? And so that's where it's not just about studying for an exam, but we're talking about the process. So the process of learning, enjoying learning, process of finding out new things, uh, experimenting how things work. Exams, like we said, so not waiting until it's P6 year, but even at the P3, P4 year, letting them try it out. If they don't do well, I mean, that's fine, right? That's, that's where it's okay to fail at the P3, P4 year yet. There's no major stakes on that. And then talking through the experience. How was it like, you know, when you didn't do so well, for example? Or, you know, what can we do better the next time? So using each learning opportunity as a point or to talk to the child, to explain, to try and help the child understand. So I think very often children don't understand why they have to do things. So one of the constant other complaints I hear from children is that they're very tired <laughs> um, because there's tuition after tuition. Um, there's tons of uh, extracurricular activities for them to do outside of school. And some children just tell me, I have no time to play. Um, so sometimes though, I mean, sometimes it's just their mindset. When I do talk to parents, the parents will tell me, oh yes, you know, there are pockets of time. There are periods of time, right? Um, but yet to the child... It's because they have actually spent a whole day in school and then they have to spend hours at tuition or extracurricular activities and it's tiring for them as well. 
And so very often they're like, I don't know why I have to go for tuition. It's just an extra thing that, um, you know, I have to go to or because my parents made me do it or everybody else is doing tuition, so I have to do tuition too. So they don't understand why it might be important. <laughs> and so that's sometimes part of my role is explaining why, although yes, it looks like it's a waste of your time, it looks like people are out to torture you, but it's not that way. <laughs> right. yeah. Interesting. So it's also creating opportunities for in a way, for them to experience failure along the way, right? Yes. Part of life, yeah. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with educational psychologist Daniel Sia on raising a resilient child. So let, let's talk about the book. I mean, I found the, the questions in the book very interesting and they're very accessible. So, you know, how did you and Kelly decide on the questions in the booklet? Um, so Kelly and I have both worked with parents and children for a really long time. And I would say that these are all questions that along the way have come up regularly from parents over a range of problems. And so these are questions that I think large amount of parents are actually having difficulties with. And so that's where we decided, hey, let's put it all in a booklet and hopefully this could be a good guide for any parent to pick up and learn some strategies of how to manage and cope. So based on your experience, you know, with the clients that you see, which are the questions that usually come up? So I think uh, very often the big one I've been facing a lot of referrals for is emotional regulation. I think that's something that a lot of our kids are struggling with nowadays where kids are not able to manage difficulties that come their way. And so then they might have meltdowns, sometimes self-harm as well. So I've, um, we've had cases of melting down in school and then getting called, parents are called in because the child is just incontrollable, acting out in school. Sometimes children who are self-harming as well in terms of um, whether it's uh, like hitting themselves, cutting themselves. I mean, it really does vary according to the child. Um, and so a lot of times when we do see children with emotional regulation issues, it is distressing to parents. Very often, I think parents may veer towards problem solving straight away. In terms of, oh, what's the problem? Come, let's do this and let's solve this problem for you. And so that's where then children then don't learn how to manage their emotion. They don't learn how to manage the problem when they face it again next time. So when they face the problem again, they melt down again and that cycle just repeats. So what should they do then in that case? So very often we advise parents, uh, number one is to acknowledge that feeling, reflect that feeling to the child. Along the way, when the child is in meltdown stage, in terms of when they're crying, they're screaming, you know, you just sometimes just have to let it ride out right? because the, the heightened emotions are too high. Um, and so in, in that sense, it's like their brain is almost like in lockdown mode. Right. Like they, can't, they can't process anything that you're saying to them and they're just overwhelmed already. So part of it is that they just have to let it ride out and calm down first before we can then talk to them and process that situation with them. Mm, okay, so it's the timing as well. It's not like they're very angry. You tell them, I know you're angry and... I think nothing happens. They probably <laughs> continue shouting. Right? Yes. So so um, it's part of, ideally, if we can, we want to teach, that's part of my role as well, in that we teach parents how to identify the triggers early. And so when you see those signs of frustration or you see the difficulties already popping up, that's where you want to address it before it becomes a full meltdown. Right? So that's ideally part of that. And then teaching the child themselves how to identify those uh, triggers and warning signs so that they can learn to regulate themselves better as well. So for example, let's say sibling rivalry. Let's say you have your teen um, arguing with a younger sibling, for example, because they both want uh, TV, the TV, for example. And you know, one wants to really watch something and the other one wants to watch something else. 
right? So before you even have a big meltdown, a big tantrum and uh, crying and screaming at each other, there will be a, a bit of uh, discussion between them already, right? Like one will say, I want to watch this. The other one might say, no, it's my turn. And so that's where you will start hearing escalations of, no, it's my turn. Oh no, you had a turn already. So when you hear some of these arguments, step in early. Don't wait until they're shouting and screaming at each other, throwing things at each other before you step in, <laughs> right? So as parents, step in, mediate, um, you know, try and work out what's going on. Um, uh, try and make them decide, right? Can you both come to a decision? Whose turn is it? Who should go first? Who should go next? Right? So helping them problem solve, help, helping them negotiate, helping them work out, you know, what should we do rather than go into a meltdown mode? Because then nobody gets what they want and then everybody gets upset. Mm, I see. That's, that's a good example, actually. So allowing them to actually work it out themselves. right? Rather than you go in, you actually don't mediate and you tell them, okay, you go first. Yep. Or sometimes, I think a lot of parents will be, okay, you're arguing, no more TV for both. <laughs> and so it shuts down the argument, right? So they don't learn how to problem solve, they just learn that, oh yeah, you know, we just don't get what we want. <laughs> right, okay, that's interesting. Okay, so how about the other part about um, positive self-image, about optimism? Yeah, so the question says, why does my child always say they're not good at anything? But could it be, you know, some people are pessimists, some people are... More of an optimist. <laughs> yes, uh, I do believe part of it, personality does come in. So resilience is a really interesting uh, area to look at because once again, everybody is different. Uh, the way that we react to problems and adversity is different. And like our own uh, positive self-image as well, it would vary, right? And so what part of um, having positive self-image as well is being aware of what you are good at and also what you're not good at. So I think very often we think about, oh, people who have good self-esteem. Oh, these must be the really bright people. These are very smart, very good people. They're good in all that they do. It's not actually being really physically good at everything, but it's about being aware of yourself and knowing what you yourself do well and what you yourself maybe struggle with and what you may have difficulties with and being okay with that. Everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has difficulties. And so it's really about being aware of what they are and then learning how to manage that and cope with that and not taking it too hard when you don't do well in something. Mm, right. So what do you say to the child then, if it's your client? So when I work with my clients, it is sometimes a bit sad that very often they will tell you that there's nothing good. I can't, I can't do anything good. I'm not good at anything. And so very often that's where I'm there to kind of uh, suss them out and sound out, you know, are you sure? Like, you know, um, I'm sure there must be something you're good at, right? For yourself personally, what do you enjoy doing? What are the things that you like to do? So for some, it's drawing. Perhaps I think I am seeing quite a lot of uh, teenagers now who are very into uh, very realistic, very beautiful drawings. Maybe for some, it's music. For some, it's sports. Different talents that I would then encourage them, hey, yeah, you know what? You're, you're on the school team for that. That must be a, a sign that you're pretty good at that, right? So um, helping them recognize that, you know, things that they might take for granted are actually strengths that they might have or talents that they might have that they are kind of downplaying. So um, bring it out for them and uh, talking to them about how Yes, they may not be the best soccer player, they may not be the best artist, but they're pretty good at it too. And that's something to be proud of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fourth one is um, personal control. So mm. the question in the booklet says, why can't your child control his or her behaviours? That's common also, right, you mentioned, among your clients. Yes. Um, so I think because very often uh, parents come with a list of problems <laughs> that they were like, oh, yeah, my child can't do this, can't do that. Um, you know, when something I am seeing for some of the parents is that the expectations for children and what they want the child to be able to do may sometimes be a bit too high for what the child is actually doing. 
And so unfortunately for the child, that's where they might feel that, you know, the decisions are out of their control. That they can't manage or they can't cope with what the expectations are. And so that's where they start giving up easily. So something that I like to do with all my kids is to talk about goals. What are some of your goals that you would like to work on? So um, it can be anything at all. Uh, so whether it's uh, whether they want to improve in their drawing, whether it's something that they want to do outside, like they want to learn how to cook, um, you know, different things that they may enjoy rather than focusing just on academics versus uh, things that uh, what we might call useful skills. <laughs> we wanna, I want to encourage them to take some control in deciding what would they like to do with their lives? What would they like to do with their free time? Um, of course, a common one is gaming, uh, but I usually like to encourage them to try other things aside from gaming as well. That's so difficult, <laughs> I think. Oh, it is. Uh, but that's part of the exploration of, um, you know, their abilities, their skills, mm. um, and asking them to try something new. So I look at all the questions, then there was another one on like, why is my child so stubborn, right? So the one of the strategies is to try to introduce changes to a normal routine, talk to your child. So actually, all these things, it also involves efforts on the parents' part, right? Yes. You need um, to actually do. Yes, in fact, that's what this whole booklet is about as well. Um, it is really about guiding parents uh, on what are some steps you can take to help build resilience. It's not easy. It's not something that is going to happen overnight. It's not something that once you do one time, it'll stick. Very often, you will see that you probably have to do it over and over again. Sometimes you might not even see the returns right now. But I like to think um, when your kids grow older when they can reflect, when they suddenly think, oh yeah, you know what, this was something that my parents said to me previously or, you know, my parents have tried. Maybe I didn't get it then, but now I get it. Right. That'd be so amazing (laughs) because nothing is perfect, right? (laughs) So (laughs) we should at least try. So these are wonderful. I mean, the questions are very easy to to understand. So very accessible. Mm -hmm. So... You have children of your own, right? Yes, I do. Do you want to share some of your, you know, what you do with them since you are in this field? Okay, so I'll just share briefly. Um, So I've got two boys, uh, one who is seven this year and another one who is three this year. Parenting is really not easy because uh, children, like we said, when we have a task for them, they may not always want to follow. So it's really about working through with them, explaining to them why is it we have to get this done? Why do we have to go now versus why can't I let you play right now first? (laughs) Um, So really talking through difficulties. Also, I guess they are still growing up and they are still developing their self-esteem and who they are as a person. And so it's really important to, to acknowledge them growing up, to work through the difficulties that they are facing, to really guide them and, and give them the right mindset. So I think it is really challenging or heartbreaking sometimes when, as a parent when, when, when the children are crying and when they're struggling with difficulties. Um, it's so easy to always give in and say, okay, come, I do it for you. <laughs> um, but sometimes I just have to like step back and say, hey, you know what, this is part of the growing process. I'm here with you, but you just need to try. Right? You, this is where perseverance comes in as well where we have to let them experience that struggle and that growth on themselves. And then when they finally get it done, right? And you see that smile on their face, like, oh, it's done, I did it. I'm like, that's, that's their sense of achievement that it was worth it at the end, right? And so that's, that's part of building that resilience as well, um, of helping them see that, you know, yes, things are difficult and that's what life is like, right? And so it's just about going on, keep trying, you'll get it one day. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> that, that's true. Life is hard. <laughs> okay, we should be more positive. <laughs> yes. I see, oh no, I've been complaining a lot. Maybe I need to talk about more positive things now. <laughs> so, this booklet actually, it's, um, it's part of like a parenting training program, right? So, for Kelly and myself, uh, so we were involved in the teacher training aspect actually. Um, so, when Prof 
John Wong did the study on resilience uh, as part of the give back to the schools. We trained teachers on how to train resilience in their students in the classroom. So we did a series of workshops uh, for teachers across Singapore. So because nothing was done for parents, particularly, that's where we decided let's do the booklet for parents so that at least we can give parents a kind of manual that hopefully, like you mentioned, hopefully it's step-by-step, it's easy to understand and hopefully it's things that they feel they can do um, in their everyday lives. Right, and this booklet is available on the website, right, of the NUS Mindset Centre. That's right. That's online. I mean, you have to download it. Yes, but it's all free. Um, You just have to click on the link and it's there. That's great. Thanks for your time today, Daniel. Thank you. I would also like to thank uh, Prof. John Wong for this opportunity to work with him in the year study, um, as well as the NUS School of Medicine and the NUS Mind Science Centre, um, along with the tote board who funded this whole study as well. So Prof. John Wong is the director of the NUS Mind Science Centre. Yes, that's right. And, and he's me. doing amazing work um, in lots of different research. So I used to work with Prof. John Wong. This was about 10 years ago that I first started working with him in the REACH team. Um, so that's a community mental health team that uh, goes down to schools across Singapore and manages uh, mental health concerns in the community at school-based levels. Right, and Kelly as well, right? So yes. we've got both of you to write the book. That's right. Right, okay, great. Thanks for your time, Daniel. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.